Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. I recorded this in Los Angeles, California, sitting down with the superb Martin Olson, who may in fact have the best laugh I've ever heard in my life. It is uproarious to say the least. He is a comedy writer, a television writer and producer, a best-selling author, and a songwriter and composer. He has five Emmy nominations to his name, which are for television and songwriting. You may also recognize his voice from SpongeBob SquarePants uh, as a guest on that show, and also as the Lord of Evil on the Cartoon Network's Adventure Time. Uh, he's got a lot of accolades, like a ridiculous amount of accolades, and uh, he, he's had songs performed by Clay Aiken, Shaka Khan, Jack Jones, Weird Al Yankovic which, holy cow, that's pretty cool. Uh, Kenny Loggins, uh, gosh, Michael McKeon of Spinal Tap, Wayne Brady from Whose Line Is It Anyway, Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, he is a very cool dude, and I will put a ton of links on the link page, which you can find on heyhumanpodcast.com. So it was a great conversation. I loved it. He's hilarious, and that laugh... It's truly like none other. Um, yeah, the usual stuff. You can find the social media bits at Hey Human Podcast. That's Instagram and Facebook. My personal Instagram and Facebook and Twitter are Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. Of course, you already know about heyhumanpodcast.com, but did you know that <laughs> there is an Amazon portal on the front page? And if you click on that and shop Amazon like you normally would, it helps support Hey Human. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's ad-free, which is my preference. And uh, in order to do that, support from you listeners is a huge bonus. If you're feeling it, please go ahead and shop on Amazon through the portal. And a little tiny bit comes back to Hey Human, which is awesome. You can also help support Hey Human by clicking on the store button on the heyhumanpodcast.com website and there'll be a little drop down. It says support Hey Human. Yay! So feel free to do that. Any little bit helps. A dollar, five dollars, whatever, you know, 50 cents. Make it, you know, 50 cents a month, whatever. Right now I'm doing a PBS thing right here. I don't have a book bag to give you, but you know, maybe we can work up to that. <laughs> All I have is great content for your listening pleasure. Um, you can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. And uh, I feel like I'm leaving something out. I don't know what it is, but uh, if you can think of what it is that I've left out, please email me. All right, uh, enough of all this. Let's get into it. Uh, here we go. Martin Olson, thank you for being on Hey Human. Thanks for having me on Hey Human. And fun meeting you on the phone prior to us meeting in flesh. Yes. Lots of flesh. No, there's not that much flesh. Oh my God, I've gained so much weight. (laughs) What? Oh, it's ridiculous. I didn't know you before. I'm just giving you the inside scoop. Okay. Two scoops. Oh, two scoops is right. (laughs) So we knew each other in a very random way. My friend Ruth, who was on this podcast talking about her Church of Satan stuff. Um, and ironically, the nicest, sweetest person ever just doesn't even, doesn't add up. She's wonderful. Um, <laughs> and then Excuse it turns me. out that we have another mutual friend, 
Bob Bledsoe. The other sweetest guy in the world. Oh, my God. What a weird small world it is. You know, I was having... Both of those guys are similar. They're both upbeat, fun oh, people. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Bob is a blast. So is Ruth. Yeah, they're she's both like the party pants. people. Maybe we should introduce them. <laughs> they're both single. <laughs> oh, that's a riot. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Love is in the air. <laughs> okay, we're going to make a mental note of that. No, yeah. I Well, I listen through always to everything after the fact. You know what yeah. I mean? When I go to do the edits. Yeah. In case something insane happens or... <clears throat> you can edit out my fucking coughing this time coughing. around. What are you allergic to? Oh, is it okay to swear? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, pollen. That's a bar. <laughs> <laughs> any, per any particular? <clears throat> something that's blooming now? Yeah, the regular good old pollen from flowers. So, so have you I'm sure you've tried everything, like the honey and all that stuff. Sure, I do that occasionally. It just takes me by surprise. This morning was bad, but yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I feel great. Well, it's so fun meeting you, so you what the too. hell? It's it's always bizarre, especially when you already established you know a few phone calls and you get to know somebody yeah. a little bit, and then to see them in real life is, is quite it's fun. Cool. Yeah, it's cool, and especially because I leave tomorrow, back to the homeland of Nashville. So, so let's get into it. Sure. You are quite accomplished, a television writer, a film writer, book <coughs> writer, <coughs> producer. Comp uh, com composition writer, so composer, you've, you've run the gamut of the Well, it's mainly art. writer and a songwriter, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm the, and particularly composition or as in... Writing songs. But but lyric or... Both, yeah. Yeah, both, yeah. <clears throat> when we do songs for Disney, it's all, we all do everything. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes... For example, one of us, Swampy Marsh, he, he's extremely uh, witty and... It can encapsulate words really quickly. Mm -hmm. Very good with dialogue. So he usually, well, the other fellow, Dan, uh, is a genius musician. So would we work out the melody with, <coughs> excuse me, with uh, whoever else is working with us? Swampy's scribbling furiously these really inc incisive things. It's really great. It's so much fun because we only have an hour to do the songs. Why such little time? Because Disney doesn't pay us to write the songs, <clears throat> unless we have a guest composer come in. So you're just trying to get them done. Well, we don't have any time, so we have to schedule it. Sure. Because those two guys that I write songs with created the show. They have to run the whole thing. Mm. I'm just a writer, so. I'm just a, I'm just a writer. Well, That's I don't a have big to. Deal, isn't it? <laughs> I don't have to supervise anything. Oh, I see what you're saying. Just myself, which yeah. is the worst responsibility. Yeah. It is indeed. Um. Let's go backwards, as I like to give people a basis of what shapes them and such. Where are you from originally? From Boston. Okay. Oh, yes. We talked about cemeteries. Yeah, the best cemeteries in the world. Well, no, there must be better DC cemeteries. DC has some good ones too. In Europe, it must be the best cemeteries. Yeah. Transylvania. I just I remember being young, <clears throat> wandering through the cemeteries in in Boston, and being transfixed when, especially when there were a whole there was a whole family. And oh, yeah. just trying to wonder what may have befallen them. Was it a fire? Was it a plague? Was you know, did consumption get them? Typhoid Mary, whatever, you know. It's great for children because it gives them a gentle way into the annihilation of death. Mm. So mm -hmm. they'll eventually come around, oh that's me too. Yeah. And you said that your mom took you to, to visit graves as a kid. We you have a dark sense of humor, <clears throat> I would Well, just one time when we took some crayons. And my wife did it too with our kids, and we would 
marked down, put the rice paper over mm-hmm. the graves and have the imprints, which were so astonishing. Cool. You know? Yeah, they're super cool. Well, have you have you always had a dark sense of humor? Because you're drawn to these things. That, for example, a book that you wrote that I adore, which is the Encyclopedia of Hell. Oh, thanks. I think it's hysterically funny. Thanks. It's so well done. It's so... The, as as are the illustrations in there are just incredible. I was lucky I got my favorite illustrators to do it, Tony Millionaire and Mahendra Singh, <coughs> Celeste Marino. <coughs> Excuse me. So I just was lucky. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great book. It's so but, funny. Did you have any pushback on that at all, or did people get it? I got extreme pushback. So the Adam Parfrey, who... God bless him, just passed away recently, was just this genius dude, and he um, had he had asked me if I would do social media, which I know nothing about. <clears throat> so I started a Facebook page and all that kind of stuff, and I just got so many, after the first year and a half, there was nothing, and then suddenly there were all these people. It was like it's a couple hundred thousand fans of the book. So that was a surprise. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I forget why we were talking about that. The, uh, because did you get pushback? I'm going to shut this door. Actually. Yeah. So, so as a result of that, I got uh, hate mail from <clears throat> two groups. One was Satanists, and because it makes fun of evil, <laughs> and the other is extremely religious people. It's, in other words, I got pushback from fundamentalists on either side of the. Right. The brimstone. <laughs> yeah, they weren't in, into thinking about making fun of books they say that the creator of the universe wrote mm. fucking ridiculous and the evil people who like evil because uh, that to them it would be the ultimate freedom I guess um, uh, were mad because they made fun of their stupid rituals and stuff <clears throat> and I'm sorry evil people I don't like I don't I don't like any ritual stuff I just we have enough religions right now we need less you know? <laughs> How long did it take you to compile the Encyclopedia of Hell? Ten years. Holy moly, really? Yeah. Or unholy moly, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I t- spent ten years doing it. Wow. Initially, it just was going to be Devil's Dictionary, updated. And then, because um, <clears throat> I had to learn joke writing, I was never a good joke writer. It was always my weakness. Hmm. So, I did more c- conceptual comedy with comedians mm-hmm. for HBO specials or for this you know whatever Comedy Central series so I did it as an exercise to try to do learn the craft of joke writing by doing you know because I had gotten all of you know Milton Burrell's books every all, every joke book thing I got and read through them but I just was not naturally witty I'm not a witty person <clears throat> so I knew how to do surreal comedy uh, more freeform stuff. That's what we want to hear. Was that laughter? Yeah, or someone's, an howl- someone's howling, laughing. Oh, that's so funny. And um, <laughs> but I had to learn just how to do a simple reversal, really uh, concisely. Like I mentioned earlier, my friend Swampy Marsh, mm-hmm. he's really good with dialogue. Some people have a natural ability. My friend Kevin Rooney. There's a lot of comedians that are extremely good. Uh, Heidi Honeycutt, Honeycutt, this woman writer who's Probably the best, like a Woody Allen type of a succinct joke writer. 
So some people have it naturally born that way. What is a reversal for those who don't know? You do a setup line and then you extinguish the concept with the second one. You obliterate it. Mm. And the more obliterated it is, the funnier it is. Steve Wright's jokes are classic examples. I love Stephen Wright. If you look at Steve's jokes, so he, the obliteration happens in many, many different ways. <laughs> She's perfectly on cue. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh. I think it's an Armenian couple up there. They're either laughing or, or screaming. Making love. <laughs> or making love. <laughs> so you asked about the, the negative sense of humor thing. The, that, I did that for the joke writing, to learn joke writing, because I was lousy at it. And then I became, after 10 years, I became good because I was dedicated to doing it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was, if I wanted to do it with Satan as the author, mm-hmm. because then all bets were off and I didn't have to worry about... Um, it could be as absurd as you wish. It could be, without any boundaries, as free as it could be. Yeah. <clears throat> so still, I didn't do... I think you mentioned early to me about the... Uh, what's the documentary? The uh, the last laugh. The last laugh about what is taboo, basically for humor, because it's not funny. Usually, that's just a function of time, but sometimes it isn't. Some yeah. things are just not ever. You can't touch on it. Yeah, I mean, examples would be nine eleven, or <clears throat> excuse me, or the, the Holocaust. Although many comedian Mel Brooks made a whole career on the Holocaust, really. I mean, technically, right? Well, by one thing removed, because it wasn't about. I mean. It wasn't literally about Comedians alcoholic. do jokes about yeah. ovens. Yeah. So, because that's the funniest, because it's the most, obliter- it obliterates the setup. Right. And it's the most shocking, and it f- fucks up your, your thought patterns. hmm But it's hurtful, it hurts. hmm So, that's the only reason why. I had an interesting discussion with um, a young comedian. I, I really like his act a lot. Uh, <clears throat> Victor Jones. <clears throat> an absurdist act he's 21 and we talked about the booing that happens now at colleges and so on and he was pretty adamant and strong and good in his argument about how some of the stuff is hurtful to people that have had the experience who've had bad experiences as a child Mm -hmm. but he was realistic too and said that simply as distasteful as it is labeling certain comedy CDs or, or tracks or something who cares why not just label them and I couldn't really argue against it. If that's the tenor of the times now, why not go... Like a trigger warning type of deal? As absurd and as distasteful as that is, because it implies we're all wimps. Mm. But now, because of the internet, everything is much more uh, out in the open, where, as before you had to harden yourselves to hide hurt from, mm-hmm. you, when, from being a child. I think some comedians, <clears throat> though, that I've heard speaking on this matter, talk about how that is the best way to deal with the darkness and the pain is to shine the light on it, to to find the absurdity and to twist it, like you said, to turn it on its ear and that in that there's healing. Of course it is. Abs- for that's some people, abs- I guess there is no healing. No, that is absolutely true, but that's kind of like the unspoken thing you can't say because of the tenor of the times. You can't say that. Why? Because then you would break down the argument and not allow even these people to say, I need a trigger warning. I have a... I see. I can't... You're... What the... And so it's... I I have kids, so you know that sometimes you just sort of... 
eat it and go with what's going to be most helpful to them. I do understand the idea of the trigger warning. I heard something interesting. I cannot recall who said it. And again, I believe it was a comedian. Uh, Something to the effect of, you know, you laugh at the jokes about the blacks or the Jews or the gays, but then don't you dare joke about mother-in-laws or, you know, the transgender or the, you know, and it's interesting. You get to, you don't get to pick that as an audience person, this person was arguing. And I wish I could remember who it was. It was probably like Chappelle or something. Um, That's a good point for sure. But these things are all temporary. They're all going to blow over. You think? Fuck yeah. Just go back. You mean when the world ends in 12 years? When the world's (laughs) over because of Trump. Um, also, the big message should be love Trump, mm. love the evil. You know, don't Wait, resist. Yes, Mark Twain don't create. Probably not but, Trump, obviously, but he said, "Doesn't Satan of all people you should be praying for Satan? He needs your prayers." Oh the my most. God, that's so obvious, but it's hard because people were beaten as kids, and so it's not sure. going to be Including a viable. Trump, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. I mean, in all honesty, <clears throat> do you know Jim Carrey's artwork at all? No. He, so he's been doing, in his coping mechanism of this presidency, he's been painting these wildly uh, sort of absurd, very grotesque, um, intense pieces of artwork, huge ones, uh, and mocking a lot of the, the cabinet and this, this, that, and the other. And there was one that he did that really hit me viscerally, and it was uh, Trump's father you know, going to hit him. and, and No said, way! And the hand said, worthless. Get out hand. of here! Yeah, and it sent such a wave through me. I thought, wow, that... But see, what's what's interesting to me, the ironic thing, of course, is Jim Carrey is... I, I don't know him, so I, I can't speak either, for him, but, but, yeah. but it is painting from a place of <clears throat> just like, ha! Ah! <clears throat> but in reality, he, he touched something that was probably so truthful and empathic and say what you will about anybody in history who's been a bit of a dick, and you can probably look at their where they came from. That's not, that's not an excuse. We all have our stuff that we carry around. It doesn't give us license to be jerks. But I've, I, it struck me as like, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, the key thing is I learned from Robert Sheckley. I was lo- so lucky to work with this science fiction writer who was my idol when I was a boy. <clears throat> Excuse me. We became friends. As a result of my wife urging me to get out just to meet him when he was locally signing books. And we ended up working on movies and TV shows and video games together. Mm. And his main credo was uh, sympathy with all things. He would have the bad guys in a story, you know, with a toothache. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, would, So that was a big, big influence on me for sure. <clears throat> and it also was a, it's kind of the dividing line for different types of comedy writing. Because I don't, I'm not sarcastic at all. You know what I mean? You wouldn't know it with your with your book, at least. There was some good. Sar- I this is how I described it. Well, in the it book, to, is it sarcasm? There's uh, some sarcasm. There's got to be some, right? Yeah, there's some sarcasm. There's two thousand jokes in there. Yeah, I described it today at lunch as I said, if Monty Python was holding a pitchfork, <laughs> you know, that would kind of be the. <laughs> it's because it's very Python-esque. Cause it reminds me of their their writing. Yeah, that was a big It's a huge compliment, by sure. the way, because I adore Monty Python. Who doesn't? Oh, me too. I was lucky enough through Bob Goldthwait to meet Eric Idle and oh, uh, wow. work with him a little bit on a on Penn & Teller's show. Yeah. I produced a bit that, that, that Eric Idle did for them, and it was a thrill. He was such a nice person and so oh. uh, 
deferential and confident and smiley. And, mm-hmm. But also he had kind of a couple of push buttons and things, which was where the genius came from, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, the, I wanted to say one more thing about the dark sense of humor is that I had a super good parrots. So I didn't have anything to resolve. Mm-hmm. I mean, just was lucky. Yeah. So then everything was kind of a level ground for comedy. I'm not trying to heal anything. <clears throat> I'm just trying to uh, break up thought patterns and uh, without hurting without without hurting anybody. The whole p- point is what you said earlier that Chappelle said. I guess the the obvious thing of the of yeah, having your thought patterns busted is somebody's doing you a favor. You know, if you're a religious guy and someone points out the ridiculous tenets of your religion, it's hurt, hurtful, but he's, the person's doing you a favor. It is an interesting mirror to have, to look through, right? A mirror? A mirror. <clears throat> oh, you, you put it up, yeah. Yeah, you put it up against yourself. Oh, yeah. And even when you're watching comedy, you know, the things that people say that make you uncomfortable, it's because they're touching something that you've thought, maybe, or it's touching on your own idiosyncrasies, it's touching on your own biases, and that's what's making you irritated. Yeah, I know. Really? Yeah, the things that irritate you are the things that you have. Generally, yes. I think always. And pain is its own, you know, ball of wax, for sure, but... um, I do find it fascinating. And to your point, in that documentary I watched, The Last Laugh, they talk specifically about the Holocaust and 9-11. That was the whole arc of the Those are the best examples, for sure. Yeah, and it, I highly recommend this documentary. It was very, very, very good. And very obviously, funny. rape is the other thing. It's just, I mean, it's never funny, except in the context of making fun of a joke that's, uh, that's unspeakable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we were talking about that yesterday, uh, that how bizarre is it that if you look at 80s films where there's that, the the date rape underlying is going through so many, John Hughes films, who I adore John Hughes films, this is my childhood, was watching these movies, and now with a different lens, the lens of adulthood, looking at these scenes going, holy crap, or Revenge of the Nerds, where, you know... I don't know if you've seen any of these No, I'm movies, so dumb. I don't know movies very much, so I don't just, know. But I know to his writings, John Hughes was a funny, funny fucking so writer. So funny, his, genius. His stories initially that he oh, wrote for the so Lampoon good. with a... I used, oh, to, yeah, I used yeah. to buy just for his stories. Mm-hmm. This is way before he was a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a genius. But now looking back, you know, there are things that you couldn't get away with today because... Insensitive. Super insensitive and uncomfortable and... I think it's normal. I don't think there's anything. I mean, the 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 what's the symbol of our times is the safety space, the safe spaces. That kind of defines the problem. Mm. Because um, you know. But never has there been so many safe spaces and so many unsafe spaces all at the same time. They're just jamming up against each other. You can't huh. go to a place of worship. You can't go to a restaurant. You can't. Huh. They, all these things are happening. I see on Twitter constantly. You know. I didn't think of that. Racist people screaming the N-word at customers or, you know, it's just <clears> crazy. <throat> That's why happening. if you could, I mean, this, this is where it's just, I sound like an idiot because I am an idiot. 
but it's true that if you do love Trump, if you have sympathy with this fucking idiot... Some people listening do love Trump. No, but if you are sane and, and you are, are able to see that he's not a nice guy, not a good person, shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be president, what the fuck, are you kidding? So you want to have uh, sympathy with the guy. And so if you resist it, then we create more polarization. And you're, it's so satisfying to people who were beating his kids or had, or had a political stance that is over, it's the overarching theme of their life. It's about justice, you know, and fucks them up. And a lot of times, the, sometimes the more unjust people have those political views on both sides. But to stop the polarization would help hugely. I agree. Just one-on-one, -on -one, just like me and you talking, you know, and talking with anybody. I mean, you do this every, you do this on every show. You stop the polarization. That's what the show does. I, I mean, I hope so. Yeah. And to that end, I would... I definitely uh, try to give that space so that the conversation can happen. And it's, it's, there's that moment, and I see it on Facebook all the time where it's immediately like today, because, you know, the vote is coming for, you know, on the 6th. And right now we are right before that. When this airs, it will be after. Right. But um, people are being so awful. Turn it off. Yeah, I well, yeah, and to, to be called. No, I mean that's the key. I've right, been right. called a libtard so many times, and it makes me giggle. It does. It means nothing Just to me. Turn it doesn't. The, turn the fucking thing off. Well, I agree, <clears throat> but so for me though, to look at somebody because I know people who support Trump, and they yeah, have. Yeah, some of my best friends are conservative people. Yeah, and they have their <clears> reasons. <throat> they're not dumb people. They're not mean people. Not at they're all. They're not any of those things, and it's so easy for us to language it as those dumb motherfuckers as much as they are languaging. You dumb, libtard motherfuckers, you know? And it's, it's so like, fun talking with you because hardly anybody says things like this. It's, and I have to keep quiet. But see, I would argue that we <clears> shouldn't <throat> keep quiet. As long as we stay civil, which is very hard to do, we have to talk. Yeah, we but have people, to talk about it. People are not interested in hearing that, uh, it, that it's having sympathy for Trump and stopping the polarization would help. They don't want to hear that because there's no satisfaction. But it means that they're just... <clears throat> Every argument that is countered with an argument where you're being exactly like the guy you're arguing against is yeah, not an argument anymore. Yeah, but they're blind to it. Same with the religion. Of course. It's, All of it. Politics is the secular religion. So it's the exact same yes. thing that's happening. We make religion out of a lot of things, whether it's food or, you know, huh. beauty or huh. exercise. See, I never or thought of that. Just like any addiction can be anything. Religion. Huh. Science can be an addiction. You know, I suppose you can err on the side, but when I listen to somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson... Which, by the way, I interviewed his sister. No way. Yeah. Well, how cool is that? It was really cool. She's a, a professor of diversity. Really interesting <coughs> woman. Excuse me. Um, but when I hear, and I was raised by a scientist, you huh. know, and I love science, I do, but I also believe in something bigger than myself. And the one thing that bothers me about some scientists, including my father sometimes, and we have these wonderful discussions, and he doesn't do it anymore, but when I was younger... And a few boyfriends I've had have said things like, you're so smart, how can you believe in God? And I was like, wow, that's so patronizing. And Neil it deGrasse is, yeah. Tyson has a bit of that thing. Sure, he does. He will refuse to look at anything to do with so-called UFOs. Right. So-called paranormal stuff. But he doesn't know any more than the people who do believe in it. No, know. but there's a arrogance to that that's i agree um, that's what i'm saying is that the religious we have thing. to get out of our own way in order to have the conversation and that's so hard because when i meet you everything you and i 
have as an interchange is based on my paradigm and I'm coming up against yours. And it's very hard to untangle This is the greatest podcast. (laughs) That's the whole point of it, which is the most important thing ever. It is. Trying to untangle that. And for me to look at you and you to look at me, the royal you, and say, oh, we're the same freaking person. (laughs) Which is why I'm able to talk to somebody in the clan. Because there were moments, look, I'm as far from a clansman as you can get. Yet there were moments where that, where Richard Nichols was funny and engaging. Like it made sense to me that he is a recruiter. The part of that gut that I'm suddenly on, I was tearing up. Oh, we're not recording, right? We are. Right? Oh, <laughs> we're recording all this. Yeah, of course. Was when, um, at near the end, did I tell you this? It was like very moving to me. Hmm. He said something so sweet and vulnerable. It's weird to talk about a clansman in that manner. Uh, well, why don't we stay in touch and I'll I'll send you the stuff. Well, can you send me that link and we'll? There was a little reaching out of because he is in a place where he doesn't have love, he doesn't have the connection of sympathy with all things. And the loving connection he does have is rooted <coughs> in a hateful premise. Yeah. Or a fearful. I would argue even it's not even. He himself doesn't see himself as hateful, which I found fascinating. But he's certainly fearful. Yeah, right. It's it's so interesting. I'd urge anyone listening to this to listen to that. Episode 30. Episode 30 <laughs> is fucking killer. Thank you. And I think it's the essence of this show. Thank you. <clears throat> it kind of defines it. Well, back to... So back I didn't to, know we were so, still recording. Yeah, we... <laughs> so anything I said bad, ignore. No, no. You said nothing bad. It's <laughs> fascinating. And again, it's important to have these conversations. <laughs> And if we don't, who will? And if everyone is so terrified, it's the same thing with the comedians. They're up on stage, and it's really, we're at a time now when I go see stand-up, which I, I love going to, um, for a couple different reasons. One, because I, I need to laugh these days. Yeah. And two, because I find comedy fascinating, and I like I like to look at the, I like to sort of pull the curtain back and look yeah. at the great and powerful laws <clears throat> and try and figure out how they developed their what they were doing. Um like uh, looking under the hood or something. And uh, if you want to look under the hood and see a satire of looking under the hood, hmm? it's Freud's jokes and its relation to the unconscious. The big, thick fucking book that he wrote about jokes analyzes jokes. Freud wrote a book about jokes. It's a huge book. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so it's all in German. So it's even doubly fucked up because his concepts and joke structure ideas are all. Ha- in, incomprehensible because yeah. you can't translate a joke. Yeah. Do you know what I find fascinating about, I know I'm going off the rails, what I was going to say about the comedians is watching them deliver a joke that is on the tender side of, oh shit, what's going to happen next? And The funnier and stuff. Feeling, yeah, feeling the audience respond. And then what I love about certain comedians, they're just like, you know what, fuck you if you don't think that's funny. And then they just keep going. They don't succumb to the, the almost an audience bullying or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm not a performer, so I could never, ever do that because I would succumb in a second. It's got to be hard. <clears throat> it's got to be tough. I'm not a leader type, so I can't really, I couldn't, I just, that's why I, I just never like performing or being in charge of something. It's mm. funny, laughter, ooh, farty chair. <laughs> That was the chair. <laughs> Fart jokes are never not funny. Anyway, uh, so when you said that about the Freud book, and it is funny because the, the translation of a joke does not work right. at all, but laughter 
translates every language, right? Transcends language. Yeah, it's the closest thing to between two people for sure. Yeah, <clears throat> I love laughter, and do people listen to CDs of children laughing? Not the pedophiles. I mean the other people. <laughs> One of the funniest guys to listen to about comedy for me is is a guy who Mike Michael Pritchard from San Francisco, and he's written he did PBS series on it, uh, mainly talking with kids, guiding them through it. <clears throat> it's so fascinating. I'd really recommend reading his books and his seeing his uh, TV shows. Michael Pritchard in San Francisco. Okay, I'll put uh, links to that. I think it's the healing power of laughter. Mm. I, I find it interesting that you say that you studied how to be funny because it seems to me... Well, no, how to write jokes. How to write jokes. I guess you can't learn how to be funny. Okay, so there is a difference there. All right, then that's... Writing jokes is a specific distilled format for humor that I was bad at because I, my mind is not... I'm not smart. I don't have like that you kind of... You seem smart, but... Not for, not for uh, concrete writing. Mm. It took... took in other words, I, what I mean smart is when someone's natural at it. Mm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't natural to write dialogue or to, to do... I mean, it took me so long to learn that writing dialogue for scripts, for example, is where you let go and you don't write a fucking thing. You just hear it coming because you've defined the characters in your head, so there's no writing involved. You're just dictation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it took me so long to learn that. I mean, I'm old now, so I had many years of trying to just struggling and struggling to write dialogue you know and, and yet here you are emmy nominated writer yeah well so, i learned i learned how to do it for sure yeah and all the stuff with the awards is all bullshit by the way i, I mean i understand i come from the music yeah. side of things i know how all that stuff works still it doesn't hurt to have one on the wall or on the shelf I no it's kind of an average acknowledgement of the of time you put in mm. <laughs> that's that's all okay it's not that you're the funniest <laughs> that's person depressing. <laughs> No, it isn't. The time you put in is the most important thing. Do you have a favorite uh, book that you've written? Or I know you've written a couple <coughs> collections of poetry too. So, do you have a? Is there something that speaks to you more than something else? No, I mean, a health hell book. I took, put ten years in. I was a learning experience to learn how to write jokes. And about half the time, I succeeded. You know, it's half of the half of them getting like funny. They're all That's funny. It. They're all so fun. It's such a good book. Well, thanks for saying that. There's a lot of repeat concepts because I was learning how to do it and I edited out about almost an equal amount it was wow. twice as big as long so that's my favorite the hell book but I'm working on the sequel now which is Encyclopedia of Heaven and that's the first book the demons uh, hell was overcrowded so they went and took invaded earth and then they ate everybody and then they realized the existence of heaven and so, which is just another dimension, same as uh, hell was a, was a denser dimension than Earth. And so they went, found the location, and it's an invasion manual of heaven. It's about the demons, how they took it over. Do you think you'll get some pushback on that one? <laughs> I don't think so, because there's no jokes in it, really. Mm. It's more like stories and uh, 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 satires of all of the bureaucracy that's involved in an invasion. and. <clears throat> Oh. And in heaven. That's fun. So. Have you seen The Good Place? No, that's a TV show, right? It's very good. It's Is very, that about that? It's very well done. I don't want to spoil anything. Sorry. I don't care because I'm not even I mean, a TV guy. I don't want to spoil it for them either. Oh, yeah, okay. So, But I'll tell you after. Mm -hmm. um, were you raised religious or no? Well, we went to church for sure, but my parents didn't 
really care until later. I mean, my father was like a, there's something called a deacon in a Baptist church. So we were in a Baptist church in Alston, Mass., and then in Littleton, Mass. <clears throat> and it just was a family comfort level thing. Um, my father wasn't religious. He just wanted to have our family have... A tribe. <laughs> yeah, have have a, a tradition so that we'll, we'd go to something every Sunday. It's fucking cool. I mean, the music was what I learned a lot of songwriting from hymns. Oh, my God. it was The songs were so good. Mm. It's just the word sucked. <laughs> but then again... Christian music is pretty fun. I enjoy writing that, actually. I haven't... I've never... Oh, I guess maybe I have it. More like spiritual type themes and stuff like yeah. that, but never any religious thing. But, but that's what I mean. Sorry, more oh, spiritual. Yeah. yeah. I like playing around with the idea of God could be a lover. <laughs> oh, that's great. I look forward to listening to all the stuff. I bought your album. So I'm, Thank you. So, so I think awesome. I might have bought, do you have two or three albums? I have four. Yeah, uh, I think I bought a couple. I can't remember, yeah. but I, I look forward to listening to them. Oh, thank you. Especially if you're doing stuff like that. Um, so I was going to say about uh, the religious thing. So my mother had open heart surgery. She she was born with uh, uh, um, chorea. She was born with heart disease. So gradually over her life, she died at age 60. It kept eating away at her heart. So she was like the poster child for for heart surgery, heart valves, mm. the pig valve, the, mm-hmm. the mechanical valve. She was the first one to do a lot of those things. And they flew in doctors from all over the place, wow. Boston, Mass General. <clears throat> we were so lucky to be near Boston. Still 60, so young. It sucked really bad. She was. They, my parents were the greatest. But um, see, so you say that you didn't have a childhood that was had some issue. But I would say you may not have been a little kid. But losing your mother so young had well, impact you. Well, loss is different than hurting. Hurt when someone hurts you. That I mean, if your parents hurt you, it's like the biggest cognitive dissonance ever. Yeah. So there was none of that. It was, um, you know, my brother was growing up. The funny. He's the funny one in the family. Super hilarious guy. He always was funny. Older or younger? A year younger. Mm. And also a genius intellect. He never demonstrates. It's just he's just a weird guy because he's, you know, he, it came more naturally to him and he never really had an interest, I think, in it. He was more interested in being social and I was just a nerd, you know, in my room. <clears throat> but thank goodness for him because he freed me up by watching him of how to be funny, you know? Mm. He was naturally funny. He's an, he's an actor and a, and a super good photographer now, late in our lives. That's cool. But about the religious thing, um, my father had... we So we used to paint the t- town church in Littleton. It was just like a 90... Uh, there were 90 people in my graduating class. It was all cow pastures and everything. So people went to churches and stuff like that. It wasn't any heavy-duty thing. So there's two things I just wanted to mention to you about that. Um, uh, I was driving, because I used to paint the church with my dad. We used to, my dad was a house painter. So my brother and I would go along on his jobs a lot of the times. And so uh, driving down there one time... Uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Mrs. Robinson song came on. And there's some line about uh, making fun of people who believe in Jesus or something like that. Mm. It's just, you know, just normal 
youthful satire. And my father, who's not really, he didn't really, he, he's not a rule type person at all. He never raised us like that. He said, "That's. I wish they didn't do that." I said, "What are you talking about?" Because I, I had no idea what he meant. He said, "They're making fun of people who believe that stuff. It just hurts them. And why not? Why bother to do that? They're not going to change." You're talking about old people. And that was the first time that concept hit me. This is before mm-hmm. Robert Sheckley and Sympathy with All Things. So mm-hmm. my father was saying that. He had a lot of empathy. He understood. He, but I, but for me, it was like, what the fuck are you talking about in my mind? Because freedom of expression is what you want. Sure. So that's that is the that's the thing. It's Those tricky. are the two mm-hmm. ends now that both things are legit. One is empathy and the other is freedom. But don't I have the freedom not to listen to the things that are going to bother me? And then I guess that's supposedly the, you know, the idea of the, um, I suppose the idea of the trigger warnings gives you the opportunity to say, oh no, I don't want to ingest this. When we had the conversation, I think I told you recently, with the comedian Victor Jones, the 21-year-old, mm-hmm. who's a surrealist, mm-hmm. and he was very much, you know, not caustic at all and very... under understanding of both sides but he he said no he says why not put a trigger warning things are screwed up right now what do you lose and the my answer was you i lose nothing mm. it just because i'm old it just sucks and i don't like it yeah it's change but there's no absolute so you turn on tv regular network tv your abcs your nbcs your cbs's and you've got violence against humanity a thousandfold yeah and we ingest that, the video games that we buy our children. I don't have children, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, all of that is pretty intense. Yeah, that's a, another discussion of where you, where you program your mind. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you are doing killing, most of the single shooter things are all killing, killing games. And yeah. they're so fun. So some of the more enlightened guys tried to make it that you're killing ghouls or spirits or anything like that but basically it's it's just really rough when it's war ones yeah because if you know that's what if i was an arms merchant that i would be investing in military video games well who knows maybe the military does invest in some of these games it would behoove them talk about a great recruitment films well i think the I'm, uh, what you're saying seems logical. That's why I'm s- s- skeptical of it because the world is so fucking chaotic. So, do you think it's more chaotic than it ever has been, or do you think we're just more aware of it? No, I mean, even with conspiracies, uh, the conspiracies, of course, exist. Um, you should talk to Doug about it because he says they don't. Of course, they exist, but it's more like chance things. You have to kind of plan some some stuff, but. The fact when all these things elements come together where someone can do a conspiracy to, to fool someone and get money and power, uh, a lot of times it's not it's not some overarching evil. It's just like oh hey wait a minute if we do this, you know, it's like that. Mm. You know, I remember Bob, Robert Sheckley told me that when he was a young science fiction writer, the CIA brought him and some other science fiction writers in for a secret fucking meeting asking them how they ideas for how they how america could get attacked and one of them they said was take get it get in a plane and just smash them into buildings this is like a 1950 so a lot of the stuff is by chance so the reason why i'm thinking about that kind of stuff is that everything's the 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 thing that heartens me is that chaos rules 
<laughs> so you can always, it's just like with magicians. I'm a big fan of magicians. I work with Penn and Teller, and I, since I was a kid, he gave little magic shows like a fucking idiot. I love magic. Well, a lot I know, of people, people don't. don't. People don't <laughs> like it because they don't like to be fooled, or they don't like that someone's trying to trick them. But I think it's fun. It doesn't... I don't, I'm not offended by it. I think it's different with my wife, for example. She says, I, I know it's a trick, so there's no thrill for me. Oh, I enjoy my inner child comes out, and I love it. I love it, too, but the, it's just that everybody's different. Yeah, of, of sure. saying, oh, that's a really interesting point of view. So you, it is a trick, of course. There's no magic. Mm-hmm. Unless there is. Unless there is. Well, this whole thing is magic, for sure. That's the only magic is everything. Exactly. <laughs> if, we're, if we're creating as we go, we certainly are magicians. So, I forget what I was talking about, stupid magic. It is fun to think that the people, <laughs> there are people who deny the magic of the universe and yet give a deity omnipotent power and then take oh it God. away. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> say they, that again. Well, they deny magic and then they give a deity omnipotent power, but then they deny the omnipotent power by saying there's other forces that are at work that are somehow doing dastardly deeds that the omnipotent power is incapable of thwarting somehow. It doesn't make any sense. It's an it's a weird argument to me. No, I mean it's like just I, I believe in something bigger than myself, but I don't know what it is and I don't need to know what it is. Because it doesn't I suppose part of it is because I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good, you know, as far as being a good person. That's the um, key, right. Yeah, and so I don't If you'd ever wanna if you have zero intent to hurt anybody, then you know you're a good person. Yeah, and I, and I think that I'm in touch with whatever that is. And I don't need to convince you to believe what I believe. Right. Because to me, when somebody... This is me personally. What I believe is that when somebody is deafening in their argument of why you should believe what they believe, it's because somewhere in them, they're not quite sure if they believe it. Because people don't get that crazy about something unless they're not quite sure of their argument or they're actually doing the thing they're telling you not to do. As we see all the time in the newspaper when people are screaming, you know, Jesus hates gays. And then they're caught in the bathroom getting a, you know, a blowy from their cute neighbor boy or whatever, you know, I don't know. Well, another way to distill that. I'm going to get so many letters on that. Well, no, I don't, no, I, no, I don't think so. Because that's, I mean, look, at uh, hatred is not, nobody likes hatred. Even people that have hatred, they wish they didn't. I mean, it's tr- unless they're insane. Or they don't think it's hateful. I mean, I, the, the Westboro Baptist people, for example, they think that they're really doing good. Yeah, the but world. they know that it's it's through using hate as a tool. So they, I mean, they can, they're not dumb. So they, mm, no. but it, what? But here's what they are: is that the to me the to me the deal breaker is when you get down to religions, um, the God actually says, "I want you to worship me." So right away, the premise is idiotic because the God's a fucking douchebag, an idiot, ego. a moron. A lot of ego. An, an idiot. Only a moron. Worship me? Who would say that? A human. That's the, that's our anthropomorphizing our deity. Uh, an omnipotent being, I feel, would have better things to do than worry about whether humans were really that into them. I know, but the p- truth of the matter is all a deity is is the universe uh, c- condensed down into its sentient being. That's all a deity is. I feel so that's like, what we yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. And so, when, and any person that 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 call, gets a, that that creates in his mind naturally, so a a, a group mind or a, or a or a 
or a higher group spirit and personifies it, if that personification says, worship me, right away, you know, it's the premise sucks. It's well, completely, so that's the level of, that's where stupidity comes in. Because someone can't say, oh, wait a minute, stop, hold. But you have your leaders, and you have your followers. I mean, that's true with anything, right? That's true in business, it's true in creative fields, it's true everywhere you go. It's true in dog packs. There are leaders and followers. And I think that, unfortunately, like if I look to what I believe, and I may be wrong, but it's okay. I don't care if I'm wrong because it's mine and I don't give a shit. <laughs> but it's, you know, I feel the universe coursing through me. I look at everything as divine, as my, I look at you as divine that's, and me as divine. That's sanity is what that's called. But oh. I think there are people who need to feel like there is some great hand so manipulative in their life that they can let go and, and be like, oh, thank God. I don't have to think about it too much. They're not necessarily dumb people. They're just not the leader type. And then there are the people that are like, oh, ho, ho. you can talk to God, but only through me, <laughs> right? And that to me, those are the little more creepy for me. Now that's not to say there are plenty of Here's uh, the, religious the, people that are lovely and are trying to do good in the world, yada, 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 fine. But Susan, here's the, here's the next step on that one is that my, my, my super, super genius friends, I mean, a number of them. The, the person who's the guru, who's legitimate guru, has zero interest in followers. Right. It's, all put, it's all on the follower who attributes those things and sees, reads signs into what the person says and what happens during their conversation and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and also the unspoken is the, the followers also have no intention of hurting and being and want to be truthful and so on but it, there's an unspoken feeling of wanting to be part of something bigger than yourself mm. so it's the same thing you said except that a lot of people who are put upon to be a guru don't want followers but they just sort of humor people and just go with it hoping they don't fuck up and they always do by the way well, because their ego gets goes, says, hey, <laughs> it sucks. There's like 12 versions over there. Let's go, you know, I mean, or the, whatever. You know, an example would be Dalai Lama, you know what I mean? Get, Osho, Gandhi, even. Osho is I like, the, the, what's his real name? That's not I forget his name. His, name, his the, actual name. But, he was just an evil fucking dude. Yeah, I so, watched that documentary. Holy moly. I'm glad I heard there was one about him because he was like poisoning people. And he was like, to, had, his, had his, 50, hench, 50, his hench people were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was like he had no, he knew fleets about it. of no, totally bad person, oh, absolutely. And, and so maybe, I know really nice people that love him, and they don't even they don't even look I've up. I quoted him before, and until I realized who who he was, actually, somebody offhandedly said, "Oh, Osho, that's that guy that had that weird sex camp." I'm like, "What?" And then oh, I started digging in. I was like, so "Holy shit!" Similar you know to similar to Ron Hubbard or people like that, people don't even look up their lives. Mm. People don't have any curiosity to look up what the fuck. So that's part of the thing where. That's the other question too. Can can genius people who are genius at a craft and who you enjoy what they do, or they say something you're like, yes, can they still be totally horrible human beings? Bill Cosby, great example, funny as fuck, right? How many of his standups were you like, oh my god, that's genius horrible human being insane and it's like we're it's weird to think about 
that that's that thing with like the KKK guy, those moments of humanity, those moments of, oh, you're like a normal person. Not exactly. All right, here's a story that will piss people off. Maybe you too. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> Bring it. So I got, uh, went into audition for jobs. You know, I'm a writer, so there's the zillion writers coming in. I lucked out and I got picked by Bill Cosby. To, to I pitched, he was looking for some, he heard that I was doing some, uh, some, I wanted to do an animated show for kids about autism. So he heard the examples at pitch, and everybody said, fuck that. Are you kidding me? It just was undoable, really, back then. This is a couple of years ago. <clears throat> so um, so I went in and pitched the thing, and he was a weird guy, but he was very funny, and it just was a weird experience. And um, basically, I started swearing like crazy, because I was in the other room when I was told to wait, and he's on the phone with some sports people, I don't know anything about sports, he's on with some football people or something, and he's telling them how to present themselves as, as Afro-Americans and to, to show respect. And it just, I was listening to him and I said, fuck this. So, and, and mainly it was about not swearing. So I went in swearing because I'm a fucking idiot and I'm with, like my, I told you I work with Dan and Swampy at Disney. Mm-hmm. My closest friends working with people, or with Sean Tejirachi, the book de- my book designer guy, and all the people I work with are anti-authority people. That's where I'm most comfortable. So, because it's just like a check. It's like you already all the insanity is already gone on all that level. You you already know that every sympathy with all things. You're gonna you're not gonna believe anybody. This kind of thing. So, I go in there to the room where we have to meet Cosby with his producer, who's the most wonderful guy in the world, by the way. And um, was totally victimized by the whole thing. And I start swearing up a storm, and then Cosby starts swearing back with me. Mm. Completely, I, you know, I just went for it. And luckily my ideas were good and I, I didn't care, even though I needed the money. But it just felt weird when I heard that conversation. So then luckily he suddenly, he picked me out of all, so this is the story. So the sympathy with all things kind of a vibe. And I knew nothing about him being insane and in a, in a, an insane rapist. Nobody did, did they? I know there were, there were, there were rumors back then. I think Bill Hicks had, a, had talked about it. I think people talked about it. Because uh, it was all these lawsuits. Well, he it? came out recently, but yeah, Hicks came out way ago. back and... Mm. I think Barry Crimmins did too early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Absolutely. that's because of all of the lawsuits. Because mm. I mean, the essence of of evil now is you just buy out people. Mm-hmm. So so I got so I wrote the outlines and I had this show figured. I was so proud of it, and and uh, his producer was wonderful. Oh my god, it was so just fantastic, and it was with. Uh, who was it with? Oh, it was with Netflix. Mm. So we sold the show in the room, and uh, and um, it with Jim Henson Company. So then I I passed to the outline. So then I get a call about seven o'clock at night, and it's his producer, this genius, wonderful dude. Uh, Doctor C wants to talk to you, and I never called him Doctor C because what doctor? What the fuck? So I just call him Bill. So, 
So he gets on the phone, and he already knew that time that we met. It was a two-hour meeting when I got picked. Uh, the whole time, we're just howling laughing. I mean, really, howling fucking laughing the whole entire time. So stuff like that's going to get people mad because they don't understand about sympathy with all things with someone who's a demented rapist. There's a whole other thing happening, too. Right, I understand so, that. So, I, I don't know that people will get mad at that. I mean, the truth of the matter is he's fucking funny. You can't deny that Bill Cosby is a funny human being. You can also not deny that he's a monster. Both those beings live within him. It goes and I back find to it fascinating that he started swearing with you because mm, to me that says me sociopath. Too. Because sociopaths mirror. That's one of their that's one of the telltale signs. Well, certainly he didn't have a conscience doing all that shit. The word sociopath is kind of a weird word because it gets thrown at people, so, you know, diagnosed people. It's just, oh my God, it's a slippery slope. <clears throat> so, the guy was definitely insane. That's a safe way to say it. And he had no conscience for sure. So, hey, Bill, how you doing? I'm on the phone call. This is the first call. He says, there's a long pause. He knew he could make me laugh. So he said, uh, uh, YouTube. And there's a pause. I said, YouTube? So, you know, so you want me to watch something on YouTube? And he said, uh, um, shoot, what's that show with Little Joe and Haas? Bonanza. He says, Bonanza. I said, there's an episode of the TV show Bonanza you want me to watch? And there's this pause. And, then he, and he's just doing this to, be, to fuck with me in a funny way. So then he says, uh, the title of the episode, which I forget the name of it, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, there's an episode called blah, 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 blah. This was just a f f hilarious way that he was dealing with me. So, so, I, so I said, there's an episode, blah, 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 and it's on YouTube, and I'm gonna, I should watch that, why? And then he says, near the end of the episode, there's a conversation between Little Joe and Haas, where they had bought a bunch of rabbits with the father's money they were supposed to use for fencing to, to fix the fences, and they got taken by a con man because the con man told them they would multiply and they could sell them and they'd be rich. So the, converse, the tone of that conversation is the same tone I hear papers full On page six of the outline, the third paragraph, that's what's missing here. And I looked at this, and that motherfucker was totally right on. It was like, the, it fixed everything. So that just was an example of the reason why this monstrous, insane person had such a flip side. Mm -hmm. We are a mosaic, are yeah. we not? Yeah. So uh, at any rate, I didn't mean to go along on that no, story, it's, but it's I just, fascinating. it was super fascinating to me for sure. Yeah. So, and I didn't deal with him at all except in terms of comedy. We just laughed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see the monster. Mm -hmm. So there was a little guilt and so on about it. But then right when we closed the deal with Netflix that night, we signed the papers, everything, and the deal was done. And I was going to be doing super good because I was like the, the, the executive producer and the the head writer for the thing and I mapped out the whole series and uh, I come home my wife is in the kitchen where we have a sort of a little ante room with a big TV 
and she's on the sofa there crying, watching TV. And I said, what's going on? She says, look. And she just flipped through the channels. It was Bill Cosby, the rape thing, the whole thing, every fucking channel. (laughs) (laughs) The same night. Mm. So she and I looked at each other, and we just knew it was over Mm. instantly. The same day that the deal closes, like a month after you sell it. Yeah. So it's funny little dramas happen that later turn into be bigger stories. Yeah. yeah, what it, I mean, that whole, the whole movement around those types of people, it's really been fascinating to watch yeah, as an outsider, but then as an insider, because I'm in the music industry, Yeah. and seeing it firsthand on so many levels, oh, yeah. it's, I mean, people in power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. It's a shame. Why can't more nice people be in power? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's bad if a nice person in power is the ultimate test, right? Mm, I suppose so. I was telling about the gurus, you know, start out good. Yeah. I mean, the toughest person now to have, I mean, like the da- Dalai Lama. I mean, the guy was chosen by a farce. Uh, it was Dalai a farcical La- thing. And so... Don't, don't they have dreams or something and they have to answer questions? I'm not really sure how the Dalai Lama gets chosen, but I thought they had to answer reincarnation type questions they have a um, let me put it in a let me summarize it in an artificial way let's say there's three objects a bowl a, a wand and a blah blah glass of water I don't know and they have to pit, then they go to a young child two years old and they have, and then they do a series of questions or tests or whatever it is <laughs> and by the way these Three guys or whatever it is who are looking for the reincarnation of the previous dude are under a lot of fucking pressure. Oh yeah, I it's all It's all political, mm. so they have to find someone even if it doesn't fit. This is what happened to Krishnamurti, if you're familiar with his story. Mm-mm. The Theosophists had an intuition about a new avatar coming in, so they found this kid in France or whatever it was, and 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 just he was the the tested him and that's how, how it happened so he was stuck nobody tested me dang it <laughs> <laughs> well, you're lucky i think the hardest thing ever would be the dalai lama because then you, you i mean anybody would part of you would believe it the reason why i think he's a okay dude is because he part of him doesn't believe it but he can't say that yeah so but still this worship thing is the lowest of the low his holiness? What the fuck? It's that thing again of wanting to touch something beyond oneself. Yeah, it's true. So, I, and I'm sorry, I'm so. Um, you are who you are. That's no, but I don't want to be hurtful, but I am because people I know, my friends don't like to hear that, and they're like far from idiots. They're like the most genius people ever, but they just like that stuff, and I don't like it for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe in a past life you were a guru. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy you never know I have pity on my followers how did you come into animation stuff because Phineas and Ferb of course is a Mar- biggie Mary Harrington mm. one of the execs at Nickelodeon and one of the more far reaching ones she was very eccentric and smart and she hired different types of people and I just was lucky that she read my stuff and liked it yeah, because that show is pretty out there. It's it's interesting and sort of non sequitur. Which and show? Phineas and Ferb. Oh, that was well. That was way later. Mm. 
because basically I first started writing for comedians mm-hmm. uh, in Boston with all the com- comedy people. And you sent stuff to Dangerfield? Oh, yeah, I used to send him jokes. And he was like, nope. It's 10 jokes a page, so him and, um, what's her name? The other funny joke person. Um, sorry, I forget her name. Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers, sure. So, um, 10 jokes a page, $50 a joke. And so always Rodney would write, sorry, Martin, sorry, Marty. So late, later when I met him, uh, he was a guest on Penn & Teller, or, uh, the show that I was writing for them in Vegas. And uh, so I reminded, he came, he showed up with an eye patch on, he had a full fucked up eye, and his wife was so sweet and great, and he was really nice to me. And I said, hey, uh, do you remember me? I, I'm, I'm uh, Martin Olson. Oh, he says, oh, sorry, Marty. He remembered right away. <laughs> That's so funny. And so it was really fun working with him, working out the bit with him, you know? Yeah. It was great. How do you yeah, how do you write for um, comedy for magicians? What is, uh, is there a... Uh, well, I'm a fan of magic since I was a little kid. I like that funny pretension of being all-powerful. It's funny, it's a satire of being a human being. So it's like really funny to me. Doing a trick is just funny because nobody gets hurt. That's the main thing. And you still can bust up thought patterns without words. So comedy is like magic because comedy just does it with words. Mm. Magic does it with, uh, what do you call it? Physical actions. Break up thought patterns. That's impossible. How, is that, how did that happen? With a joke, it's like, what? The first part of the joke is now obliterated? I have to rethink, you know? That's why when I was a kid, my main, my favorite, still is my favorite, I never liked, I mean, I never was drawn to social, political satire or things about things that are happening or anybody with a message. I never liked for some reason. I liked more abstract. I liked Steve Martin and and, and Andy Kaufman and mm, you know, uh, you know Andy Kaufman. all those guys that had no message <clears throat> because the message was unspoken that you're going to break up their thought patterns. Mm. Andy Kaufman was his own beastie. I feel like he was just out on some other part of the tree. Yeah, and there were people like there was Olson and Johnson before him. I don't know who that is. Uh, look up. Hell's a Poppin'. They did Broadway shows and they were a comedy team. Mm. Olsen and Johnson were uh, precursors to surreal comedy. And with Dada, there was surreal, certainly was happening in, in Paris. And, and um, it, it was all mixed up with stuff like a photo of somebody spitting on a priest, though. So there would be, with Dada, there was a mix of, you know, the Ubi, Ubu Roy type of a thing where it just was absurd sort of stuff mixed with just unobjectionable unspeakable things that you do that wouldn't be hurting anybody it just would be offensive mm-hmm. so yeah I, I, my, for what it's worth and it certainly doesn't mean anything's better than anything else I never liked uh, comedy with a message for some reason, I don't. I'm not sure why. Is that why you tend toward the abstract and the surreal? Thing? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there not still message in there? I feel like Andy Kaufman, who was so wacky, had a lot of messages that he was delivering. 
he just did them in a really weird way. What would be the message? I mean, you're probably right, because, I mean... I think he'd like to push <clears throat> the button. I think he, you know, he was the kid in the back seat going... Yeah, I'm but breaking, right. breaking up thought patterns isn't a message. Hmm. Breaking up, uh, what's the word for breaking up anticipation for something and taking the audience's mind in the opposite direction violently. But I feel like that is a message. I think we get so complacent. I think the message is anti-complacency, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. He was wacky. <laughs> it was mainly juxtaposition. That's the thing with, that's the first phrase for joke telling you're going to juxtapose the opposite against it if you're doing a joke about uh for about formal sex mm -hmm. uh, no you about casual sex then you do a formal sex example mm -hmm. so you just do whatever the opposite would be and then depending on how f funny you pr are personally how that's that amplifies it to be even funnier yeah i think about the like, norman lear comedy you know and the, the king of irony, you know, and, and just the lessons that were, were in there subtly and sometimes not so subtly. And like I look at Andy Kaufman and I think, oh, the man died of lung cancer and he didn't smoke. That's this weird, almost even that in his death, he's still giving that sort of hoo-hoo. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so bizarre. I got a funny Norman Lear story. Who was the I great, adore him. The greatest of the greats, by the way. Adore. And it's the opposite of what I'm saying. He totally was trying to put out good vibes and to try to challenge people. That he's he was a he was it, everything I said earlier about not liking uh, things with a message is false because that was as good as it gets. Mm. And so. Mm -hmm. um, I was with Steve Sweeney, one of the best comedians in Boston, uh, who did characters and was a playwright and a good friend. And we went to see Norman Lear at Emerson, and we got there early. And we took seats in the sort of near the front, but kind of in the three, two or three seats, four, three or four seats back. And it's then it filled up packed. Um, and we we're like you know 30, 20, 28 or something like that. And it was all. 18 and 21 year olds packing the place and Norman Lear got up there and um, he gave his talk and he was really really good and then there were questions and so um, and he was really funny and so uh, one of the people up front had a tape recorder like and it was kind of like a rude person it was a woman who was kind of like rude I guess so just didn't have self-perception self-awareness so she just was a little bit too pushy and stuff so she said listen um, I, I hope you don't mind she was nice though but she just was, something was she was young so she said uh, with the Jeffersons and that was the show he did with the black people mm -hmm. and it was to show uh, uh, an affluent black scene sympathy with all things and so uh why would you want to depict black people like that they do like the jokes and they, i mean first of all she's forgetting it's a fucking sitcom so it's going to suck no matter what so uh why would you want to do that i mean when you here's an example of a joke and why would you want to depict black people like that and she has her tape recorder thing out her mic out and he looked at her and and um and he said well i don't really like black people and Steve and I fucking howled, I mean screamed laughing, 
and everybody else was silent. Then, then people started laughing, and then there was uproarious laughter. But he got eye contact with us first because he said, "Okay, there's one little island there that I can be real with." <clears throat> I mean, just because we were older—that's the only reason. Not smarter than them. We were fucking older, and had been doing comedy. So that was just an example of a moment with Norman Lear where he, you know what I mean? You have to sometimes just, and he was a bold person, so he would stand up and say the right thing even and try to teach, uh, teach by doing. And in that case, it was teaching irony. All, all in the Family is genius, that yeah. show. Genius. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. It was like heartbreaking. Yes. And he's still kicking. Go Norman Lear. Go <laughs> live to be a thousand. God bless. Well, that's my Norman Lear story. <clears throat> that uh, defines who he is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, aside from the Heaven Project, what else you got in the pipes? I'm doing a pilot for Hanson now. I just um, finished the first draft. It's a fantasy kid show. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with these genius guys. I'm so happy. So they sent all the notes today, and it was like brilliant. I'm saying, oh, my God. I said, Kay, I don't have to do much work. It's so There's only a few things that are off um, that I thought were off. And aside from that, I'm um, working with my daughter uh, for um, writing um, film treatments for Mattel. Mm. Mattel's developing kind of a Marvel comics type of a setup based on their products, whereas Marvel used their characters from the last 100 years, 50 years, and then developed film scripts and so on, and was a slow burn. Mattel's now doing that now, and God bless them, and they're really creative, fun people over there. Hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. Do you still love what you do? Yeah, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy ever. I will have the best job. Yeah, you have a great job. I get to do comedy writing and I get to do mu songwriting and get Talk paid. Talk about your songwriting a little bit. What is that? Does specifically to these... Well, how, how old were you when you started? I wrote, uh, I think I was 20, 24-ish, I guess. What, guitar first? No, piano. I never. I didn't touch instrument until much. I I taught myself piano and guitar a few years ago. No way! Mm -hmm. You're I so mean, good. I Holy dabbled, shit! What I the fuck? Dabbled here and there. But You're really good at. I mean, I saw I the mean, thing with you piano was. I said, oh. I don't know how good I am, but I, huh. I don't know the. You know, well, I you faked it really well. Yeah, I, I certainly can accompany myself. Um, my melody and my lyric is really my strong suit. Lyric, especially, I'm a words girl. Um, yeah, your so, lyrics are good. Thank you. Nobody is coming to see me be a virtuoso on an instrument. Huh. They're coming to hear what I have to say. I well, you faked it really good because I didn't know that. I yeah. thought you were like a, a, a long-time player. It's a few years. Huh. Yeah. So for me, it was early, way or it was 12. Oh, wow. So I've been doing it since I was a little kid. Yeah. So, and that was p piano and guitar, mm -hmm. same thing as you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a word person. I'm horrible at lyrics. I love words. I'm so bad at it. Mm. I think as though if I hear a song, I can't, my brain is not right. So if I hear a song, I can't hear the lyrics while I hear the song. Because mm. mm -hmm. I'm more music oriented. Sure, I understand. So I have to listen to it again to hear what the lyrics are. Sometimes I hear the lyrics if it's like a, an anthem type chorus. 
repeated and then I get a sort of back engineer instantly just oh this must be about this but just the music is all I hear <sighs> so then I have to go back and hear the words afterwards so I'm not geared toward my brain is kind of split or something yeah I met a couple other people that have the same type of pr- brain processing so I didn't feel like a total freak you know I think the guitarists I know always hear the guitar line. The bassists I know always hear the bass line. <laughs> it's funny, a friend of mine played me some songs that he had written, and he said, hey, we listened to this, the demos back. I said, sure. We sat in his car, and we were listening. And he said, yeah, my buddy produced it, blah, 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 blah. And I looked at him, I said, is your producer a drummer by any chance? Because <laughs> the, no, drums, just, the drums, the drums were just, like, banging, <laughs> and you could hardly hear what he was singing. I was like, this good. He said, how'd you know that? I said, oh, just the lucky guy. That's a riot. Do you want a mint? Uh, sure. Um, so, yeah. Because <laughs> I, uh, I hear words. That's the first thing I hear are the words. And I yeah, most people do. Yeah. I don't hear them at all. I love poetry. It's, I just... That's... Yeah, but I don't, I, if the music's playing, I can't hear the words. <laughs> like, but you I don't have know a why. book of poetry or two. Hitler's Dog, Imagine, The Imaginary History of Reality, which are great titles. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but I, that's different from the mechanical process of brain structure or, or neuron paths. Mm. So whatever it is, I don't hear words first. The so, music is instantly what I'm hearing. For anyone listening that uh, may be deciding to venture into the wonderful world of all the things you do, any good sage wisdom guru? <laughs> brother <laughs> just what Bob Sheckley had in, had helped me with about sympathy with all things that way you find you don't get into a guru state or become like a old sage but how do you break into what you do you mean get jobs sure uh, besides showing up uh, sure I know how to do that you, you'd have a let's say for example you're writing for a package for a you want to write for, for like a late night talk show. You'd get a package together, which would have monologue jokes, desk pieces, overall odd concepts that you think that could involve the band or anything unusual that would make your pack package of ideas stand out. But mainly, it has to be really good jokes. So you have to practice joke writing. <clears throat> And then you have to know somebody to get it in there. You have to get an agent. It's just very complicated and difficult. But if you really want to do it, sometimes you'll luck out. It's mainly luck, I guess. Yeah. my I say this on the podcast all the time, too much to the annoyance probably of everyone who listens, but my uncle always said, opportunity knocks, it doesn't nag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I never heard that. <laughs> I think yeah. he coined it. I That's think he great. made it up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to be ready for it, for sure. Yeah. So if you're doing it since you're 12, um, then I just had a leg up on, on everybody because I would be doing it whether I get paid or not. Yeah. I know that's true of just about everybody that I know. They'd be writing or doing music even if they weren't paid for because it. Because you can't not do it. Can't not do it. Yeah. A funny... Um, uh, a funny... Um, crystallization of that idea is Samuel Beckett's novels mm-hmm. where he's just saying look I'm gonna I have to keep talking I can't stop I have to keep going on with this you know what I mean I'm not in control of this so mm-hmm. just go with me go just go with it I have to keep going on you know <clears throat>
Thank you. <laughs> we did. Martin, yeah, I'm going to put links to your books and things on my, oh, on heyhumanpodcast.com. Um, do you have a website, though, that they can check out? Martin yeah, it's, it's martin.olson. Martin.olson.com. Yeah, and it's just, <gasps> windows magically closing. <laughs> perfect timing for the window to close. Yeah, that's right. And Martin. so also, I urge everyone to look up your music and artwork. So just check that shit out. It's really fucking good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank um, you. Because Martin, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to see me here in Los Angeles. And Yeah, I'm honored that you asked me to be on. Thank you. And thank you to Ruth, too. That was sweet of her it to was. suggest me. Yeah, she's awesome. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye, everybody. Yay.